We are carrying on our Healthy Relationship series today, but we've got a guest speaker. And um, I can see we've got some excitement in the room, which is always good. Uh, one of the things I've heard Andy say over the years is that we don't have guest speakers here in this church, just people who are gifted, but we don't know them. And um, I've loved watching that, just some of our friends from the other restored churches and other places in the U.S. and around the world, just sharing and encouraging us and building us up. Uh, but today I get to introduce you guys to Jamie, who is someone I've known since I was 12 years old. So without giving away my age, uh, it's 25 years that we've known each other. Um, and it was so cool having his wife, Lisa, on stage, like co-leading us in worship this morning and just um, having them here in the space um, like seeing all of you and ministering this morning. Um, so I thought I'd just say one or two things about Jamie and Lise. Uh, they are from Durban, South Africa. Uh, when Shell and I handed over the leadership of Harbor City Church, they took over from us. And it's been such a surreal and special like journey, kind of our history before that and in that moment and since. But when I was um, 17 or 18, well, when I was 12, I met Jamie probably playing Foursquare in a youth group. And then uh, we kind of knew each other for a few years and then didn't see each other. And I joined a new church and joined a new small group at that church. And radically, Jamie just happened to be part of that group. It was just a wild thing. So we reconnected at that time. And he took me under his wing and discipled me and answered questions that I had about the faith and about the Bible and prayed with me and set me an example of following Jesus passionately and loving and seeking him. So it's been like a really special thing over the years to like minister and serve and hang together and um, to have been part of Harbor City for a short period together when they took over and now for them to be sharing today. So I just want to encourage you as he comes up to carry on our Healthy Relationship series to open your hearts to what he's going to share. I think it's going to really encourage you today and make some noise for Mr. Jamie Turnant. Let's pray. Um, Holy Spirit, I pray you would fill and empower Jamie as he shares this morning. Pray for our hearts to be open to what you're wanting to say and do today. And I just pray for your grace here, um, exposing areas that we can learn and grow and change and empowering us to be the people you've called us to be and to respond to your word today. So we welcome you here and pray, have your way, Jesus. Amen. Morning, everyone. It's uh, wonderful to be here this morning. Um, it's it's actually been really wonderful just to be here in the U.S. I think everyone that we've come to know and uh, that we've met, we went to GC. We were at the the retreat and staying with uh, Royce and Allison, and um, just the kindness of everyone here at Restored is amazing. So. Thank you for the kindness that you have all shown us and the warmth. Um, it's, it's been wonderful to be here. So I am preaching on Loving Like Jesus, part of your relationship series. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. We're going to go to Luke and we're going to look at quite a long passage of Scripture. We're going to read it. I will take a bit of a detour from then, looking at some stories of Jesus, um, and then hopefully, as we land, come back to, to that verse. And um, I hope as we take a detour that 
you'll kind of understand something of, of why we're doing that. So Luke 7, I think it's going to come up. Luke 7 verse 36, I'm going to read to 50. It's quite a long passage, um, but I hope you can follow. Then one of the Pharisees invited him to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who is touching him. She's a sinner. Jesus replied to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A creditor had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. Since they could not pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with them began to say among themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus, Jesus was a revolutionary in like many ways. I mean, the fact that 2,000 years on, we're sitting in this room talking about Jesus and people across the world and every culture across the world is talking about Jesus is proof of just how revolutionary he was but in terms of thinking probably he was a revolutionary in no bigger way than changing the world's perception of love um, I don't know if you know this but in Jesus's time like the Greek and Roman ph philosophers of the time their list of virtues never included love love was not included as a virtue of the culture that Jesus was in so they had virtues of wisdom and justice, courage and temperance, like Aristotle's great big virtues. And uh, Aurelius and the kind of Roman philosophers, they all embraced these kind of virtues. When Jesus comes on the scene, he like revolutionizes the philosophical thoughts of the day by introducing love as the great and chief virtue. So much so that Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, as you get to the end of 1 Corinthians 13 he says you know what are the three greatest virtues that in the Catholic Church they added to those four virtues the cardinal virtues faith hope and love 
And Paul says the greatest of these is love. That um, love comes into the thinking of the modern world through Jesus as being the great and chief virtue. A historian who writes on the history of love, a guy called Simon May, says this. He says the diverse and adaptable group of related churches that we call Christianity brings about two innovations with which the Western world and many who have been influenced by it live to this day. It turns love into life's supreme virtue and moral principle. So that to the question, can we do anything better than to love and be loved? The answer is clearly no. The fact that you and I are today thinking about love and thinking about it as so important is because of Jesus. And uh, so we, we want to look at love, but one of the challenges that we have with looking at love, and uh, Royce was talking to me about this during the week, but is the fact that we live in a society obsessed with romantic love. Um, we, we are obsessed with that. I was remembering when I was a kid, there was a movie, I think it was called My Girl with Macaulay Culkin. I know, giving away my age now, but um, I remember watching that and I was like, oh, I must have been 10 or something, being indoctrinated into romantic love stories, you know, and, and then it just goes on. All the, all the movies we love are like romantic comedies and... Um, have to have some elements of romance in them, even if they're not in, if they're based on a book and there's no romance in the book at all. When it comes to movie, there's going to be a love story in there, and and that's because we like we love romantic love. The challenge with Jesus is that Jesus doesn't have romantic love that we see in in the same way. Jesus isn't in a relationship. He doesn't get married. Um, but he teaches us what it means to be a person of love. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning and try and help us through this, is what does it mean to be a person of love? The challenge that you and I have in any kind of like cross-cultural dynamic is that one of the purposes of cultures is to give us a language within our own cultures in which we are able to feel and express love. That's kind of what our cultures do. Is that Our cultures help give us a value system and give us a way of acting and a way of being able to express love. So that, for example, in South Africa, some cultures, if... Uh, if if I rock up at someone's house unannounced, it will be an act of love. So for me to rock up at their house unannounced, be like, hey, I've come to visit you, they will feel overwhelmingly loved, that I've thought of them, I've come to them, I haven't phoned them up, I've just arrived, they're like, wow, you, thank you, you love us. In my culture, you knock up on my door and... Uh, Say, hey, I've come to visit you. I'm like, why didn't you phone? Do you have a cell phone? What are you doing here? Get out, phone me first, and then come. Like, it, because one of the purposes of, of culture is it gives us a framework, a tool of knowing how 
we can love one another. Now, you know, our families teach us that. They teach us the ways of loving, being kind, etc., etc. And uh, so, as a South African, I do understand that there is a dynamic that I'm not going to try and tell you how to love someone because I may tell you South African way, and you'd go and do that chair, and people would be like, um, I don't know what you're doing, but please don't do that again. So, I w what I want to try and do is give us a few things from Jesus' life, a few characteristics that we see, which I think is universal about what it means to be a, the kind of person who is a loving person. Um, Galatians says this, it says that one of the fruits of the Spirit is love. And, and I think what Paul means when he talks about the fruit of the Spirit being love is that you become a person who is loving, which means you become indiscriminate. Oh, <laughs> hello. <laughs> you, you become indiscriminate in your love. I don't know if you've noticed this, but like people who are really loving just love everything and everyone. They love pets, they love animals, they love people, they love all kinds of people um, because loving people love people. Like they, the to be a person of love is in one sense to be indiscriminate. It's to become a person of love that overflows with love. Um, and then just before I get into the characteristics of Jesus' love, I think Grant mentioned this when he talked about, you know, the Schizero's kind of like idea of discipleship is to love like Jesus. Um, I think, you know, one of the things that theologians talk about is the telos of life, like the directory, uh, the direction of life in which your life is going. And the direction of life in which Jesus kind of brings us into it in a certain direction, which way is your life going? It's going in the direction of love so that Ultimately, to be a person who follows Jesus is to be a person who learns how to love God, neighbor, and then when our kind of like spiritual maturity is complete, that we even can love enemy. Um, so as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. What, are you, what does he saying? He's talking in the context of loving your enemy. It's like when, when love is, when you become a real person of love, you don't just love your family. You don't just love your friends. You don't just love your neighbor or even people who are like you. You even love your enemy. And God is taking us on that trajectory of growing us in love so that we can be the kind of people who love God, love neighbor, love family, love friends, love even our enemy. Does that make sense? Can I give you four points on a few characteristics of Jesus' love? Number one is Jesus sees I think one of the most powerful aspects of Jesus' life is that Jesus sees. He sees. He sees people. Um, there in, in Matthew 9, 
it talks about Jesus looks at a crowd and he sees them as people who are helpless, who are like sheep without a shepherd. He sees people and he sees what they're going through. He see at one point he's walking with his disciples and he sees that the people who are following him are famished. They need food. His disciples are like, this is a problem we don't want. Send them away. Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, this is our problem. Feed them. And they're like, what are we going to feed them? We just got this like few loaves and fish. And then Jesus sees people. He notices people. He notices the issues that they are going through. You see Jesus being stopped by blind Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus shouts out, what does Jesus do? He stops and he looks at blind Bartimaeus and calls blind Bartimaeus to give his attention to Jesus. He stops and sees Zacchaeus who has climbed in a tree and is, is trying to look and you know, see what's happening with Jesus. Jesus stops what he is doing and he looks at Zacchaeus. Jesus sees this prostitute, as we read in Luke, uh, Luke 7, he sees the prostitute. He sees not just who she is, he sees her actions and what she is trying to do. Jesus takes notice of things. Jesus is a person who sees, and love sees. We become a bit blind. I don't know if you've noticed, like, especially as you live in more urban contexts, like, and there's just so much going around you, around you, like, there's just so much stuff, there's so much happening, there's so much busyness, there's so many problems that you could just see, that we become a little blind and we don't see people anymore what we see is we see objects we see issues we see problems we see demands so sometimes when we see and someone's approaching us the first thing we think about is we think about what are they going to want from me or maybe it's our kids you know with me it's like three in the morning when i hear my daughter coming through and i see her like peering through our door i'm like oh no what does this mean? Like, why are you here at three in the morning? Like, instead of me waking up and seeing my daughter at that moment, in my own tiredness and like, I just want to sleep, I, the first thing I think about is, what is the problem? What do you need from me? Am I going to have to get out of bed? Am I going to be up for the rest of the night? Oh dear, I hope I'm not up for the rest of the night because I've got this happening tomorrow. Like, this all goes through our heads often. Um, you know, we, our homeless situation, this situation in South Africa is maybe similar, maybe slightly different to yours. But we have a lot of people when we're driving come up to our windows, you know, like knock on your windows sometimes even, and they're they begging, they're asking for something. And the first thing is instead of seeing a person, First thing you see is like, what do you want from me? I don't want to give, you're just going to do drugs with this. Or every kind of thought that goes through our minds. We see people often as objects or as needs from us. And we try and assess, even from ourselves, like what do I have available? Do I have enough resources right now? Is this going to put too much demand on me? Like before we even try and respond. But Jesus doesn't see problems. He doesn't see 
issues. He doesn't look at people as objects. He sees people as people. To love is to live with our eyes wide open. To love is to live being able to see our neighbor, to see our family, to see our friends, to see our enemies, to see not just the issues that some people bring, but to see the people that they are. I w- one of the things that I love, it's Jesus's most uh, um, common feeling in, in the Gospels is the feeling of compassion. So it often says Jesus was moved with compassion. He looks at someone and he is moved with compassion. He doesn't just see someone and have empathy. Empathy is like, I, I feel what they're going through, but like, I'm happy with just knowing that I feel what they're going through. Compassion is empathy that acts. Compassion is empathy that feels what someone's going through and gets compelled to do something about it. Uh, The word compassion means to suffer with. It is to suffer with another person and knowing that you possibly could help in their suffering to bring about joy or hope or kindness or some kind of action jesus sees and he has compassion Um, which brings me to the second point which is jesus acts not only does jesus see it's uh one one of the things that i you know, our contexts are slightly different here, but one of the things that I, I, I get like a little bit frustrated by is our kind of generation or this time that we're living in loves activism, like loves it, which is like we love to make a show on social media or any public kind of platform. Like we see the injustice and like now we're doing something about it, but they're not doing anything about it to the actual person who is suffering. It's like, if I haven't made this public on social media, it hasn't happened. But Jesus doesn't ever make a statement. Um, there's this moment when Jesus raises uh, the, the widow's son in Nain. And uh, Jesus raises the widow's son in Nain, and uh, this is a big moment. Jesus has raised a dead person. He could stop in this moment and be like, yo, guys, did did you see that? I just raised a dead child. Like, let's start our international ministry here. I'm taking autographs. Like, Jesus could make a big deal. Like, hey, let's post about this. Everyone go and tell people what I'm doing. Let's get an even bigger crowd. Jesus turns his attention away from the crowd to the widow. And he starts ministering to the widow. Because Jesus sees and his action is to move towards people and to love them love is not to make a name for oneself it's to act for the good of the person who is the object of our love 
we, we know when Jesus talks about what it means to love our neighbor, he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. Um, and the Good Samaritan, you know, you've got, the, you've got the priest, you've got the scribe. Both of them do nothing for the injured person on the road. But a Samaritan, a person who would not have been expected to give any attention to a Jew, a person who would have been disregarded by the Jews, is the person who, and this is what Jesus is trying to highlight, is the person who does something about the issue. What's the difference between the Samaritan? He not only sees, but he acts. He does something. He provides. He looks after. He takes care of the person's need. You know, Jesus' love both sees and Jesus' love acts. A third point is Jesus loves without benefit. Um, there used to be this TikTok trend. I don't know if you are on it or Instagram Reels or anything like that. Um, I used to get sucked in by those 15-second videos. They are terrible. You can just watch them. But there was this one audio that went around, and there were like a lot of videos around it. And when something like this, you see that toxic person, I'm walking the other way. And there's, there's like this major trend. In, in our kind of like society at the moment, which is like get rid of toxic people in your life. If people are not benefiting your life, they must be out of your life. If they are not helping you become the person you want to be, they must be removed from your life. There's a, there's a kind of famous saying that says you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And we take sayings like that, and we think that our life is all about what is going to benefit us. Is this job going to benefit me in the long run? Is this person going to benefit me in the long run? Who is my friendship circles? Who do I hang around with? And what benefits am I going to get from people around us? What the danger of this is that we translate this into how we love. We only love those who will benefit us. We only love those who have something to offer us, have something to give us. One of the amazing things about Jesus is Jesus' love is so often shown to people who offer no benefit to his ministry, no benefit to himself. He talks in uh, John 4 when he ministers to the woman at the well, the S Samaritan woman. Like that would have been detrimental to the view of his ministry. And yet, what does he do? He loves, gives attention to, ministers to, sets her free. He loves without any benefit to himself. Jesus touches a dead person to heal the dead person, which we mention in name in, in Luke 7. Jesus touches the dead person. That means he would have been ceremonially unclean. He kind of would have had to have been out of this, the city. He wouldn't have been able to enter the synagogue. He, he loves to his own detriment in many ways. Jesus loves the prostitute, which would have been, again, detrimental to his own ministry. But one of the ways that we really see Jesus' love is Jesus loves children. 
He loves children in a society that didn't love children like we love children. One of, one of the reasons why we love children as much as we love children in our society is because children don't die easily anymore. Like, if we just have to be frank about it, like, we, we know that there is a 99% chance, you know, that our kids are going to grow up some sort of, of decent age. In their day, you would have 12 kids and four would survive. The, the attachment to children wasn't as high, and they didn't see the as if they added huge value to society. So when Jesus is with the children, what do the disciples try and do? They're like, Jesus, why are you with the children? Get away. Stop these children from coming to Jesus. This is what the disciples are doing. Like, there's more important people in the room, Jesus. Like, won't you spend time with other people? Let's stop the children from coming to you. Jesus rebukes his disciples. He says, let the children come to me. Jesus loves without benefit. We often think like the, the trajectory often of our lives, of what we trained, is we train to try and move up the social ladder. You know, that's how we train. We trained in our jobs to try and get a promotion. We train to try and move into a better area. We train to try and associate with better people. We see our lives so often as trying to move up the, the social kind of ladder. And so we want to love upwards. Jesus moves down the social ladder. He reverses the direction. The direction of his life is not up. The, towards a greater social class. His, the direction of his life is down towards those who are most neglected in society. To be a person of love is to be the kind of person that can love without personal benefit. It is, I give for the benefit of you even if you do not give anything back in return. That is how Jesus loves. And I know that's challenging. It's, it's kind of like a, a radical concept of Jesus that is so challenging. It's challenging to my life. I live in the most unequal country in the whole world. To live in the most unequal society in the whole world means we are confronted with inequality and poverty. And uh, uh, what stares me in the face every day of my life is the challenge to not choose to, to live my life moving up the social trajectory but to become like Jesus who loves those down the social trajectory without trying to be derogatory. Now, I think it's important to say this, is that healthy relationships, like we're talking about what it means to be a person of love. Healthy relationships are mutually beneficial. Like, so in a healthy marriage, I love my wife, and my wife loves me, you know, like that's kind of healthy. It would be a little weird if I loved Lisa and she was like, you're terrible, you're the worst, you know. Like you probably would go, mm, their marriage is not great. And um, 
It's not like that. Lisa loves me, guys, in case anyone was worried. So I'm not here talking about healthy relationships. I'm talking about being a person of love. And healthy relationships do have this mutual beneficial love. We love and are loved in healthy relationships. But being a person who loves like Jesus means not only can we live in healthy relationships where we love and are loved, but we can also love where there is no return. To become like Jesus means that we are able to love where there is no return. My final point on the characteristics of Jesus is Jesus loves sacrificially. In uh, John 15, verse 12, it says this, This is my command, love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. No one has greater love than this to lay down his life for his friends. Jesus revolutionizes the world with love by choosing not to use his power, which he says he had, choosing not to use his power to overthrow a Roman Empire, to change the world through power. He changes the world through sacrificial love. Jesus lays down his life for his friends. Paul says some may lay down their life for a good man. Some may lay down their life for a righteous man. But we see God's love that while you and I are still sinners, Christ chose to die for us. Jesus loves sacrificially. It's the reason why we're here Sunday after Sunday. It's the reason why a, a method of torture and brutality has become the symbol of Christianity. Why people wear the cross around their necks or tattoo it on their arms or, or why we put it up in churches. It's the reason why we do that because God has shown his love to you and I by laying down his life for us. He chose to take on the burden of sin. He chose to take on the weight of injustice. He chose to take on all the unrighteousness and evil in the world. He took it on himself. He took the full brunt of the judgment of God against those things so that you and I can live in relationship with him, in his love. We live in his love because he laid down his life for us. Jesus not only sees, and he sees people, he acts. He loves without benefit and he loves sacrificially. Jesus loves you and I. How do we know that? One could ask. We know that because his love has been shown to us once and for all time on the cross as he gave the ultimate price for, for us.
It is in the gospel that we see uh, God's incredible love. Can I give us three practical points and then I'll end now? Three practical points on the characteristics of Jesus that I think like you and I can do that would help us. Number one, train ourselves to see. Train yourself to live with your eyes wide open. You, we think that it should come naturally, like just look. Um, but sometimes it doesn't. And this is a really silly example. But I'll tell you like one example that was given to me uh, a while back. I was at a wedding and, um, and this guy at the wedding says to me, he says, Jamie, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but you ever notice like how frazzled sometimes the, the husband and wife, you know, the bride and groom look at a reception. They're busy. They're trying to meet with every people, you know, all the people. He's like, they're going from table to table. I don't know what weddings are like here, but like South Africa, they're going from table to table. They're getting photographs. They're trying to meet all the guests. They're doing all this stuff at their wedding. And sometimes it's just exhausting. You go from ceremony to photos to reception to all of this. It's like a long process. And he said to me, he said, so one of the ways that I can love the bride and groom is I can just give to their needs. So I go and ask them, do you need a drink? Do you need water? Do you need food? What, you know what the person did there to me is I go to a wedding all the time. And I never think about the bride and groom. Other than like this, I'm like, oh, the food is amazing. Oh, look, free drinks. Or, you know, like... <laughs> Whatever you're thinking, I can't not go to a wedding anymore and look at the bride and groom. What did that person do? They taught me to see. Sometimes what we need to do is actually stop and think about what are we missing? What are we missing in our neighborhood? What are we missing in our families? What are we missing in our own kids? What are we missing in our city, in the people around us, what have we stopped seeing? And learn to train ourselves to see again. Look at the people who are great examples of love. Go to them and ask them, what do you see? How did you know that that person needed that? How did you know that uh, that attention was needed there what were you seeing that i am missing to be a person of love is to train our own eyes to be aware of the places in which love is needed train yourself to see second point is to err on the side of action um you know in south africa because the inequality is so high what we've trained ourselves to do is to err on the side of inaction. And what that means is we see the injustices everywhere, but we've made an excuse for why we don't do anything. You know, so every time you see the inequality, the poverty, the need, the stuff around you, every time you see a neighbor or this or that, you've found you've got a reason of why you shouldn't do anything about it. But I think like the people who love are the people who err on the side of action. They, they rather take, you know, I'd rather do something and be like, ah, that was maybe wrong or unhelpful. than be the kind of person who constantly does 
nothing. Um, so err on the side of action. Next time you see some need or some person or some family member or friend and you become aware of maybe I could do something to help them, to love them, to express love. Don't just think about it. Actually do something about it. Make the phone call, send the message, buy the meal, do the action that shows love. And then just to end is be filled with love. You know, there's a saying on our side of the world, I don't know if it's quite common here, but it's the saying that hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that? I don't know why we don't use the converse so often, but loved people love people. Loved people love people. Here's the reality about you and I. And I think it's one of the things that we really need to get into our heads sometimes if we want to be people of love. Is you and I are terrible generators of love. We're just really bad at generating it. So if I stand here up here right now and I say, hey, go in love now. And you're like, I must go in love. And then you try and generate love like we're just really bad at it. We just can't do it. We, we are terrible generators of love. But we are great conduits of love. We are great conduits of love, which means we are good at receiving and sending love. We are good at being a people who, like Jesus said, is like a river. We receive a river from the throne of God that goes through us into other people. We're terrible manufacturers of it. If you think that Christianity right now is calling you to manufacture love and you try and go and do that, you are going to burn yourself out bad. It's going to be a terrible thing. You may do it for a while and then you're going to become one of the most needy people in the room. But we are great conduits of love. John says this, he says, we love because he first loved us. You and I love because we are loved, is what John is saying. You and I love because we are loved, because he first loved us. People who receive love are people who are able to to give love. And so we want to learn to be filled with love. I said that I'd try to get back to Luke 7, so let me end with Luke 7 now. I know, we went on a round detour of, of that passage. Jesus tells a parable. He tells the parable to highlight something to, to the Pharisee. He tells the parable to highlight the stinginess of the Pharisee's love but the generosity of the prostitute's love. And he tells the parable essentially saying this, that the person who understands how much they have been forgiven is the person that is able to give the most amount of love. He's not saying to the Pharisee at that point, he's not saying to the Pharisee, you are incapable of loving much. That's not what he's saying. He's rebuking the Pharisee because essentially what he's saying to the Pharisee is you have been incapable of seeing how much you are loved, which is why you're giving so 
little love. Your own self-righteousness has stood in the way of receiving an abundance of God's love. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, receive the love in the gospel. That God, by his grace, has given you much. God, by his grace, has forgiven you much. God, by his grace, has an abundance of love waiting for us to receive it. And as we receive from him, as we live in the gospel, as uh, John 15 says, remain in my love. As we remain in the gospel, live in the gospel, remind ourselves of God's love shown to us through the sacrifice of Jesus. Remind ourselves that even while we were still sinners, God showed his love for us. Remind ourselves of how much we've received. We become a people who have a lot to give. It is a radical story that a prostitute becomes Jesus' example of love and a Pharisee gets rebuked. It is like wild. It's absolutely wild. But Jesus is highlighting how even the people who have been rejected in society, as they receive the love of God, have an abundance to give. And you and I have an abundance of love to give, not because we generate it in and of ourselves, but because, like conduits, we've received it from Christ and the Father, and we take what we've received and we generously live it out into other people's lives. Can I pray? Lord, I thank you that you do not, you're not, you don't just command us to love one another, but you have loved us first. You have given us the example. You have shown your love to us. We've received of your love. We're not people trying to magically generate love. We people who take the abundance of love that you've shown to us and give it to others. And so I pray even this morning, Lord, for all of us, for all of us this morning, Lord, that you would remind us of your love, that you would open up our hearts to your love, that we would receive from you even today the abundance of your love. I think of all the excuses that sometimes we have of why we shouldn't be loved or why we're not good enough or, or why God shouldn't love us. But I pray, Lord, that you would break through our excuses and sometimes our hardened exteriors. You'd break through the walls and the shells that we put up and that you would help us, even this morning, to receive the abundance of your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.